This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. I'm not a big fan of the monarchy being involved in this country. I think it's time to cut the apron strings. That's a different conversation. But you can't help but get absorbed in some of what goes on and the stories of kings and queens and conspiracies and all sorts of things. It is fascinating watching. And it was fascinating television last night on Global. Joining us right now from Global News Radio 640 Toronto is someone else who was fixated and fixed to this, and that is Greg Brady. Greg, how are things? Yeah, you're right. I'm not a royal follower. I'm not. Um, I remember my grandmother woke me up. I was eight when the royal when the Charles Diana wedding was on. I had hockey school that morning in Huron Park, Ontario. That's in your uh, listening range. And I didn't want to get up at 4:30, but my grandmother, my mom's mom, was a royal. Got me up for Charles and Diana's wedding, um, and it's, it's probably the last wedding that I've actually fallen asleep at. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, like I. I was compelled last night, and you laid that out brilliantly. It was either uh, NBA All-Star Game or uh, the, the Meghan and Harry interview. And I would argue, uh, Mike, uh, Meghan had a more aggressive stat line than anybody that played in the, in the Durant-LeBron game. She, went, she took it to the hole a lot more frequently, I thought. Took it, you know, she, like she was banging bodies in the post down there. Immediately, there are people who will say, hey, how much of that is absolutely true and we haven't really had a response from the royal family in fact this will not be viewed in britain until tonight but i'm imagining members of the royal family or the it wasn't the inner circle she kept referring to but there seemed to be you know a few people involved in making decisions that she was referring to i'm sure they've caught wind of what was said what did you take away from this well, you're right. Um, my, you know, I, I was riveted. I was, uh, you know, I thought there were moments of, of tremendous uh, drama and seriousness. There were tremendous moments where I was shouting at the TV, laughing at the TV. My, my, most, um, uh, my most moderate moment of comedy, I thought, was them saying, well, when we left and got to L.A., we, st- we stayed at Tyler Perry's house. And I thought, is someone explaining to Queen Elizabeth who Tyler Perry is? At a certain point in time, I mean, she might have seen Gone Girl, Mike, but that's about it. That's that Queen Elizabeth and Philip might have watched Gone Girl, but I don't think they've seen a lot of his other movies. So I thought about that. The second thing is, I just, you know, uh, the, the royals have never been relatable to commoners like me, you, and 99.9% of our listeners. But that hasn't stopped us before. But, but. We are in the midst of a pandemic, and maybe I'm the one that's a little out of touch, but I just didn't see how it was going to land well with the millions of people um, across the globe who have suffered during the pandemic and listened to the lack of concrete suffering that Harry and Meghan have, have gone through. Now, listen, racism to be the subject of to be the victim of racism is a terrible, terrible thing. And to suffer from, look, we all know that psychological pain and mental illness, that doesn't discriminate. You can have money, you can have riches, you can have, you know, fame and power, and it can still come and find you and get you. So I'm not, I'm not being skeptical about her level of mental distress. That said, I just, Mike, honestly, like, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. 
And I think the Royals and the monarchy um, are, uh, you know, didn't come off terribly well. But I thought there was a narcissistic, tone deaf, you know, for two hours, not to even document. Well, what are the causes you believe in? What about COVID-19? What can what are you doing to help other people if you have these platforms and want to utilize these platforms? We, we live in a victim culture right now. And I thought that was part and parcel what what was on display for both Megan and Harry last night. We're talking with Global News Radio 640 Toronto's Greg Brady as we look back at a two-hour-long conversation that Oprah Winfrey first had with Meghan Markle and then with Prince Harry, who joined in about five minutes into the second hour. Now, we heard that Meghan likes to rescue animals. I mean, but you're right. That's as far as that seemed to go. One thing that, that does come up in some of these, and I, I think back to Oprah Winfrey and Lance Armstrong, and I'm sure that there was a list of, mm-hmm. you can talk about these things, but you can't talk about these things. How much of this do you feel had a script to it? Yeah, I, I think I think they are very methodical uh, by design. They've lived in the public eye, even herself as an actress. Um, you know, Harry has obviously dealt with this since a young child. And, and yeah, his life has been full of pain and separation and loss. There's no question about that. And as we said, you know, being rich, powerful, doesn't matter. You, you, you lose your mother in, first of all, your parents divorce when you're very little. So public, so vitriolic between Charles and Diana. She's hounded by the press. That part is true. She's going through tremendous psychological pain. She's isolated um, from the royal family, uh, has, her, has her title stripped away, and then she's dead in a car crash in Paris when you're still very little. So Harry's been through a ton of pain, but I found last night to be by design, uh, to be calculating. I loved, I, I thought it was really, really rich, the, you know, Megan's statement near the end. Boy, I, you know, I, I, boy, I didn't think I'd be revealing anything that was, uh, you know, tremendously, uh, intriguing or shocking well we, we were intrigued and we were we were similarly uh shocked about some of the circumstances uh about this like i and i listen oprah i didn't oprah's excellent at getting there and getting to places and moving uh the conversation but i just felt there was a ton that needed to be followed up by and a lot of that mike was to be honest if you were in a workplace and you laid out allegations or uh you suggested Let's say you're an NHL player and you say, um, and, and it's a black NHL player, and he says, someone on the New York Islanders used the N-word towards me. Who? I'm not going to say. You're, you can't do that. You, you, you have to name names at that point. We all, you know, in, in a court of law, in a civil hearing, you can't, because impl- impl- then you've implicated 20 New York Islanders by not doing that. And I know it's the royal family, and you're right, what you said at the beginning. They can't respond. They are they are basically a do not take the bait uh, organization, regardless of what you think about them. So the implication that there were questions about mixed race heritage, what the baby will look like. Some people have casual conversations like that and wonder if they're suggesting it was more uh, nefarious and uh, and dark, if you will, than that. that. That's fine. But but now you've laid every single royal under the bus. And, uh, and and let us and, and now we're guessing it's it's who shot Jr. again. And isn't it interesting that now following the interview, you have had Oprah Winfrey or Oprah Winfrey's representatives come out with, well, that wasn't mentioned on the air in terms of who it was, but then 
in a conversation afterward or a side conversation, it was stated who it wasn't, that it wasn't the Queen, that it wasn't Prince Philip. So, yeah, it is. That that was that was like another episode of Who Shot Jr. Because, okay, well, it's, it's not that person. It's not that person. We're getting down to Colonel Mustard in the hall mm-hmm. with the candlestick. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's strange that way, but you don't expect any bait to be taken even over this, given that this is such tabloid material in Britain, and given that this is really a, a unique circumstance for the royal family. Yeah, it just feels like they move right along. I mean, Diana accused Charles of, of uh, many things, uh, you know, beyond the, the mental cruelty, beyond the, the, you know, the infidelity with Camilla Parker Bowles. Uh, look how up to date I am on this. Um, it's 23 years old, that story. But either way, um, but Charles, Charles isn't going to sit down with somebody uh, in Great Britain and tell his side of the story. Now, it is interesting. Again, I'm not defending the royal family. It does sound like uh, they felt trapped. And if they feel that way, that like, you know, if they feel that way, that's how they feel. None of us can talk them out of it. But at the same time, if you if you go against the family and you're out, they will stop protecting you. Um, you know, like Pr- Prince Andrew is right there as an implied potential alleged, um, you know, basically sex offender slash pedophile. And they're still like the royal family is still backing him. He's still in the mix. So that's that's Queen Elizabeth's son. That's Charles's brother. OK, so like it, it's but but he has not, you know, fled the family. He has not spoken out and saying, I need more protection. I need more of this and that. I just looked last night and I saw two people living in Los Angeles. Um, you know, Harry, Harry was left 20 to $25 million after the, tra- again, tragic, awful, horrifying death of his mother. And, uh, and, and now they live, you know, in a $14 million house in California. And we've got people that are working in hospitals in 14-hour shifts and working in drive through windows, giving us coffee and whatnot. And I just, I, 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 and our kids are home alone doing school on, online and, I just don't think they want to hear about the hardships of uh, of Harry and Meghan last night. I I just think they would say, listen, I'm dealing with a lot of stuff, too. So you kids push on through this stuff. Greg, it's been a pleasure speaking about this and getting your thoughts on it. Thanks so much for the time. Keep safe. Mike, I can't wait to get together. I know you've paused watching The Crown just for me to catch up. And, and you know, maybe we can watch all of, of the rest of season three and all of season four in person together and chit-chat and gossip and, and, you know, do stuff like that about it. I can't wait. I'm marking it down in a calendar somewhere. <laughs> Thanks. Take care of yourself. That's Greg Brady from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. As we look back at a big event last night, and Greg brings up a great point. How does that resonate? Do you look and say, yeah, if I missed it, i got to go and watch that, or I'm going to rewatch that? I'm not sure you go to those lengths. Sure, there were things that came out. It was a television spectacular. It was very similar to Lance Armstrong, and Oprah Winfrey does a very good job of this. There were calls saying, hey, we need Oprah to be doing one of these a week. Yeah, why not? Because it's, it's interesting television, but that's that's what it winds up being. It is interesting television. And I think a lot of people were glued to it, but how much resonates during a pandemic? Great question. Let's talk about NFTs. NFTs. Non-fungible tokens. We know that the music world is a changing landscape. And we know that 
there are now a whole lot of ways to get your music. Streaming is one of the most popular ways to get your music. But now we've got a band that is extremely recognizable. And they have decided to do something a little bit different. The band is Kings of Leon. And with their new album, they might be doing something that not many artists have done, if any artists have done. Joining us right now is music journalist Eric Alper to talk about this. Eric, how are things? Hey, man, how are you? I am just fine. Get through the weekend okay? Yeah, um, I, it kind of hurt my brain a little bit going through all of the news stories about NFT um, because I think that this is something that involves, um, you know, an opportunity, I think, to break down what this new pretty much fabulous technology has kind of brought upon the entertainment industry and how it's going to change everything if it all works out. How it's going to change everything if it all works out. Okay, then we've got to skip ourselves back to square one here, and your pain is our gain. (laughs) What is a non-fungible token, first off? Because I think we need to understand that before we can understand how this could change everything in music. For sure. So a non-fungible token is a -a one-of-a-kind virtual asset. It's a unique thing that cannot be replaced with anything else, meaning that it is a -a one-of-a-kind song. Um, So let's say that you own the original Mona Lisa painting or or a -a one-of-a-kind group of seven artwork. When you're ready to sell it, you sell it for something else. But whatever you got back in return wouldn't be the original Mona Lisa, because it would actually be money. This makes it non-fungible. So meaning that every time that the person sells that item, not only does it continue to go on, but the original creator gets money. And in the case of Kings of Leon, they have created a number of different avenues where you can get their new album and also be part of like a special super duper extreme fan club. But every time that you sell that to somebody else or give it away, the original artist gets about 10% of that money, which means how it's going to change everything is, you know, when you bought a CD back in the day and then you gave it away, the original creator or the band never got anything for it. If you sold it to a record store, for instance, the original band would never get anything for it. This changes everything because every time it changes hands, the original creator gets money. Imagine if Da Vinci or any of these amazing painters and creators from 300 years ago had access to it. Their estate would continue to make money each and every time it sells throughout the ages. Wild. Okay. So this is something that we're seeing in a number of avenues. Look up Top Shot. NBA Top Shot, and you'll see something that's kind of similar, and the value of things, the Tom Brady rookie card that sold for over $100 million recently. We're talking with Eric Alper on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Kings of Leon has put this together. So this wouldn't be, hey, here, own one of our songs or the rights to one of our songs, would it? Kind of. You know, you brought up that interesting point about Tom Brady. So let's say Tom Brady actually created his own rookie card. And every time that it went from auction to auction to auction, Tom Brady was still getting money for it. Say in the artist Grimes, who is married to Elon Musk, 
she offered 10 pieces of digital art for sale. It's not a physical item. It's literally a JPEG or a photo of digital artwork. Some were one of a kind, while others were available by the thousands. But the most expensive piece was a video that she created that sold for $400,000 US. This is just only like a couple of minutes worth of digital art. That is the only creation. You won't find it on YouTube. You won't find it anywhere. So she created that. If that person decides to sell it, not only did the person that sold it make money, but Grimes also makes money. And that's where the NFT part comes in with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is that it follows all the transactions throughout history once you use that Bitcoin on it. So you don't have to wait seven months for the record label to pay you. For instance, you don't have to wait for the bank to clear a check. It literally happens within seconds of that exchange. So that's how it's going to change everything. Imagine if suddenly there was an artist and they created a song they get paid for that song if they were using NFT the second that you purchase it. So no more waiting, no more accounting, no more figuring out recruitment or anything like that. The artist gets paid every single time. And we might say, well, come on, all those rock stars, they've got all kinds of money in the world. Well, maybe some of them have a lot of money, but we've seen a lot of their ability to make money changed, haven't we? Yeah, you know, there, there's a number of studies that have come out in the last couple of months about the absolute devastating effect of COVID on the music industry specifically. And it turns out that really only one-tenth of one percent of the artists out there are making more than a million dollars or more. And, you know, as Jay-Z, as Jay-Z said, you know, more money, more problems. Like, you know, they're not just rolling in the dough. They have expenses. Some of them, like Elton John or The Weeknd or Drake or Jay-Z, have hundreds of people working full-time for them every single day, keeping their business empire going. It's the other 99% of artists that were really struggling and are continuing to struggle because they can't play live. And the online world just doesn't pay the bills when it comes to, say, 50 people watching or 100 people watching. There's still a lot of expenses in being a musician. And, you know, in London, Ontario, when a number of venues have already closed so far, those venues may not necessarily come back, which means that there's even less and less places for artists to make money. Wow. Well, this this has been fascinating. We'll see where this goes. One of those artists we talked to recently was Blue Bones. We talked with Gord from Blue Bones. And, hey, maybe this goes not just for artists that might play on a world stage. Maybe this goes to local artists, too, because you've got a lot of following. If you can all of a sudden get something like this going, it is an added revenue stream for everybody. And we know how everybody loves to collect things. So this is an opportunity to get something very, very unique. Eric, thanks so much for the time and the expl- no explanation of NFTs. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. That's Eric Alper, music commentator, publicist, non-fungible tokens. We still can't show pictures over the radio, but we kind of can. We can direct you to globalnews.ca. And I want to talk about a video that exists there right now that was compiled using surveillance footage by Sport Motors. And the video talks about a man who came in and wanted to see 
a particular vehicle. Next thing you know, that vehicle is starting to drive away. But the sales representative that was showing the man that video jumped on the hood. And you see the vehicle turn out of Sport Motors parking lot. You see it drive down the street at a fairly high rate of speed. Then from another vantage point, you see the vehicle continue through a set of lights. This is happening in London. And then you see that same vehicle, it would appear from the surveillance footage, with a man who slides off the video and then kind of slides along the street, rolls, and then gets to his feet, is nearly struck by another vehicle. This happened in London, Ontario. Joining us right now to talk about this is Mustafa Al-Kasi, one of the owners of Sport Motors here in London. Mustafa, thank you so much for taking some time for us. Uh, thank you guys for having me here. We really appreciate you taking the time to interview us here. Well... I mean, anyone who's watched that video, you can watch that video once, you can watch it 10 times, you can watch it 20 times, and you, you, your heart starts to beat, you start saying, it's, it is incredible to see what is playing out. Please take us through what you know about the incident that is on that video compiled in that surveillance footage. Uh, absolutely. It is uh, definitely scary footage to watch. Uh, see, Mo actually didn't jump on the hood of that vehicle. Uh, he gave the customer a privacy of the phone call to, uh, to talk to somebody about the vehicle. And then as Mo walked in front of the vehicle, the thief put the vehicle in drive and actually just went ahead and towards Mo and hit him with the vehicle. So Mo had no choice because it hit his right knee and he pretty much fell on the hood. And as the thief was accelerating, he kept hanging on for his life. I mean, he was driving, like you said, a crazy uh, speed, leaving the parking lot, as you can see from the video. Uh, you know, going on Oxford Street, I mean, it's an experience that nobody had anticipated. You don't think this would happen on, uh, you know, in broad daylight in, in London, Ontario, like you said. It, it was pretty crazy how uh, he just put on a drive, ran him over, went on Oxford Street. Uh, he went against traffic to try and run red lights. Uh, he tried to swerve left and right to hit him. Uh, finally, when they managed to get closer to Highbury, he fell onto the side, grabbing onto the wiper arm. He doesn't want to fall at that speed. It was scary. He could have been hit by a car or, you know, falling at such a rate, at such a high rate of speed might really do some damage to a person. So his best option was at Highbury when he turned right, uh, the, uh, thief slowed down uh, to turn onto that right. And then that's when Mola go and, uh, you know, he scraped on the street for uh, a good amount of time. And then he got up, you know, waving his hands for the cars to stop. And he tried to get off the road limping. And then the Audi, which is the car that they came with, uh, you know, came out of nowhere and actually clipped Mo and hit him again, making him spin. And that's when he walked over. And as you can see from the video, I mean, it is absolutely terrifying uh, for this to be happening in broad daylight. I mean, these guys had no regards for people, law, or anyone, really. Like, how, how can someone steal you know, a vehicle midday like this. It's, it's unbelievable and it's unheard of. Mustafa, you've had a chance, obviously, to talk with Mo. How's he doing? Uh, he is traumatized, honestly. I, 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 he's traumatized and he's in pain and he's limping. And I don't know how I think this is just going to stay with him for the rest of his life, to be honest. I mean, it is definitely a, like a, a scary experience. Why do you think he chose to grab onto the hood? Has he told you that? Uh, well, again, like when, when he hit him, he was pretty much standing in the middle of the vehicle. So 
as he hit him, I mean, it was just such a shock. You don't know what to do since you're not expecting anything like that. I mean, no one is trained for something like that. So when he hit him, he when he fell on the hood and the guy kept moving, I mean, it's pretty scary to accelerate at a high speed inside a, a very fast car to start with, let alone on the hood. So he just is like, what do I do here? If, if I let go, I, I might fall and, and then hurt something. So he's just like, is this guy going to stop? Is he not going to stop? It's just an unanticipated situation. We're talking with Mustafa El Casey, one of the owners of Sport Motors here in London, about a theft of a vehicle, as Mustafa says, in broad daylight. In broad daylight, something you would never expect. Uh, the vehicle itself, have you have you seen it since? Uh, no, we haven't seen it since. Uh, it's got a GPS tracker, so uh, we called BMW and we authorized London police to get the location of the vehicle, and that was 40 minutes after the incident. Uh, 911 was called by Mo on the spot requesting an ambulance. Uh, the vehicle actually ended up driving from London, Ontario to the GTA uh, again during the daylight. And the, cut, and, the, and the thief did not have a key of that vehicle because it was in Mo's pocket still. It was a push to start. So once you start it, it'll stay running until you shut her off the next time. So these thieves drove all the way from here to the North, to the North York, to the GTA area and just without stopping because if they stopped anywhere and shut off that car it just wouldn't have turned on turned on again so it's not like they went to a parking lot or a garage where they could have hid for a bit it was just one time during broad daylight from here to the gta and and yeah i mean i, I don't know how you know they got away with it like that well it is as you say a terrifying incident and at this point mo is uh, other than being traumatized and sure this this isn't going to leave his memory anytime soon physically is he okay uh yeah he's walking he's limping uh his feet is all scraped up and fingers and and you know he's, he's got a lot of bruising but yeah he's, he's alive and thank luckily no uh no bones are broken uh, with mo and we'll see what the investigation does yeah, bring from yeah, this. Definitely. And, and the sad but, part is, sorry to interrupt you, but the ambulance showed up 35 minutes later. I called 911, and I'm like, I requested from the operator, and I said, we need an ambulance. You know, Mo is actually my little brother. This is a family business. So I, and I told him, I'm like, my little brother, he fell off of a moving vehicle, send an ambulance. And, I'm like, and then she's like, you know, go speak to the officers at Tontino. I'm like, there is no one there yet. We need you to send an ambulance. My brother fell off of a moving vehicle. And she tells me, you know, go speak to the officer. I mean, I've never encountered this. And, and, and I, I, I don't know what, I don't even, I'm speechless is, is the word for this. Mustafa, we really appreciate you taking some time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it again. Take care. Yeah, you as well. Thank you very much. That's Mustafa El Casey, one of the owners of Sport Motors in London. So his little brother Mo winds up on the hood of a car because the car essentially runs into him, has to hang on to it. The car speeds away. He ends up falling off the hood, sliding along the road, gets up, is nearly hit by another vehicle that Mustafa says was the other vehicle that two individuals arrived in when one of them got into a vehicle on their lot and drove off again with Mo on the hood. We will see what the investigation brings. Hopefully it's able to find something in this case. There is a picture from surveillance footage of the individual, which you can see on the video that was put together, and you can see that at globalnews.ca. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 